Have you ever been so thirsty that you were in pain? I have been thirsty before I dehydrated from playing sports and um, forgetting to drink water. And I've, I, haven't, I haven't actually experienced a lot of pain from that. I've, I've gotten tired and I've um, just felt really drained and gotten like a headache. But there is the possibility of being so dehydrated that we can actually experience a severe kind of a pain. I looked up what happens when we become dehydrated. I, I think most of us probably know that our bodies are made up of 60% water. And most people can handle losing between like 3 and 4% of our body's water mass without noticing much effect. Um, 5 to 8% loss can cause headaches and fatigue and dizziness. A 10% loss of body water or more can actually cause severe physical and mental deterioration accompanied by severe thirst. And severe thirst can be extremely painful. What do we do when we are in pain? Well, we look for a cure. The only cure to dehydration is water. People who are well hydrated never think about water because they don't need it. But when you are dehydrated and thirsty, all you can think about is water, and you're motivated to seek water until you find it. Now, this is true physically, but it's also true spiritually. Physically dehydrated people seek water. Spiritually dehydrated people seek a different kind of water. Jesus calls this different kind of water living water. And according to Jesus, living water is the only thing that can quench our spiritual thirst. And the longer we go without it, the more pain we experience. This morning, we're going to see what happens when a spiritually dehydrated person encounters Jesus and starts drinking living water. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to start at chapter 1 because we need to see how the Apostle John introduces Jesus to us. Look at John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. That means that through him, water was made. Through him, people were made. And then John goes on to say that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now flip to John chapter 4, to our story. We see the word made flesh traveling from Judea to Galilee, he stops to rest at a well around noon, and a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. In this encounter, we see what the living God is doing right now all over the world. One by one, he's gathering people to himself. This has always been God's plan. He started with Abraham and Sarah. He called them to leave their homeland to follow him, into the unknown, and God promised them 
I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And I will, and you will be a blessing. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. The God who made the world loves the world, and he's calling people out of the world to himself to share his life and to participate in his mission of calling others to himself. And the goal of God's great mission is worship. Jesus explains to the woman at the well in verse 23, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God the Father is seeking a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. This is the purpose of our existence. We are designed to worship the living God. We were created to behold the glory of God and receive and respond to his love. Nothing else can satisfy the human soul. St. Augustine prayed, You move us to delight in praising you, for you have formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. In the Gospel of John, we discover that God the Father is forming a people for himself through his Son. Jesus sees himself as being sent by his Father. He's on mission, which is why John tells us in verse 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's actually a very curious thing to say because there were alternative routes that Jesus could have taken north to Galilee. He didn't actually have to go through Samaria. In fact, most Jewish people in Jesus' day avoided going through Samaria because there was a long-standing feud between these two tribes. Why does John tell us that Jesus had to go through Samaria? Because the Father was seeking this particular Samaritan woman. The Father could see that she was spiritually thirsty. The Father knew the kind of pain that she was experiencing, so the Father sent his Son to call this Samaritan woman to become a part of God's family. This morning, I'm just going to make three observations about this missionary journey that Jesus is still on. Observation number one. Jesus breaks down every barrier that is preventing us from receiving from him. Watch what Jesus does. Remember how Jesus is the word. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And one day, around noon, he sat down by a well, weary and thirsty, without a bucket to draw water. I find this so interesting. Don't you? The living God is thirsty. The living God is tired. The one who invented water is sitting by a well, exhausted and thirsty, and he meets a woman who is also thirsty. It appears she is a social outcast. Coming to the well at the hottest time of day suggests that she's either ashamed to be with the other women or the other women are ashamed to be with her. Maybe it's a bit of both. As she approaches the well, Jesus calls out, will you give me a drink? The question reveals that Jesus is thirsty, but it also opens up a dialogue which Jesus will address her spiritual thirst. 
Now, Jesus does not come right out and say who he is. He simply starts up a conversation with her, asking for help. The woman's surprised. And in her response, she identifies two barriers. She says, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? John then adds the comment, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The hostility between these two people groups went back 500 years. The Jews loathed the Samaritans and vice versa. Will you give me a drink? She can't believe her ears. For in order for Jesus to drink, he would have to put his hands on her cup and then put his lips on her cup. The same cup that she would have drank from. The same cup that she would have touched. Jesus is all about crossing cultural and racial barriers as we see him doing throughout the rest of the New Testament. Jesus is creating a new family from every tribe, nation, and culture. He's come to break down every racial barrier. But there's more. She's stunned that a man is speaking to her in public. The rabbis of this particular time period, they made it very clear that if a man wanted to be holy, he was never to greet a woman in public. There was, um, there was instruction for, for rabbis that said, a man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even with his wife, and especially not a stranger, on account of what other men will think. <laughs> there was actually a, a, a group of rabbis that were given the nickname the, blue, the bruised and bleeding rabbis. They were given this nickname because when they walked down the street and if they saw a woman, they would cover their faces and they would often bump into walls and buildings. I'm not joking. Pious men of the day prayed, O Lord, I thank you that you have not made me a Gentile or a sinner or a tax collector or a woman. Yet here is Jesus alone talking with a woman in public and he's just about to take a drink from her cup. The woman is shocked, but perhaps for the first time in her life, she's being treated like a real person and not an object. Jesus does not see women as second-class citizens. He treats women and men with the same level of dignity and respect. In fact, he will go on to invite women to be part of his entourage of disciples, which was completely unheard of in his day. By simply asking her for a drink, Jesus has broken down the ancient barriers of race and gender. Now, watch how he breaks down another barrier. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. She responds, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water from? She's probably thinking to herself, from a practical level, how is he going to get water? How is he going to pull water from this, this stagnant well? So Jesus clarifies, and he reveals this deep thirst within her. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water that I give will never be thirsty again. Indeed, the water I give them 
will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Again, she misunderstands and says, sir, give me this water so that I don't, I don't get thirsty again, so I don't have to keep coming back to this well. Now watch how Jesus breaks through and moves right into the center of her, her heart. He says, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus responds, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with right now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, why does Jesus bring up the source of her shame? Why does he identify her brokenness and pain? Because Jesus wants her to know that he knows who she really is. He wants her to stop living in denial. He is the light, and when the light begins to shine, it exposes the darkness, not to crush us, but to bring us into the light so that we can be healed. Another reason why Jesus points to the source of her shame is this. The woman is feeling loved by Jesus. Think of all the barriers that he's crossed up to this point to reach out to her. But if she had gone home before Jesus would have brought up the source of her shame, she might have doubted Jesus' love. She might have thought to herself, would he really love me if he knew how broken I was? Would he really love me if he knew how far short I fall from God's law? Would he really love me if he knew the kind of life that I've been living? Jesus brings up the very source of her shame and he does the very same thing with us as a way of saying, I know everything about you. I know everything you've ever done, and still, I love you. Jesus is relentless in his pursuit. He will not give up on us. He overcomes every obstacle and breaks down every barrier until we are fully convinced of his love. This is why he's come. Observation number two. Jesus seeks to establish an intimate relationship with us. The story takes place at a well. A man meets a woman at a well. This has happened many times before in the Old Testament. And every time a man meets a, wo a woman at a well, there's always a wedding that follows. Genesis 24, Abraham sends out his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. The servant stops at a well and meets Rebekah, and shortly afterwards... Rebecca and Isaac are married. Genesis 29, Jacob is on a long journey. He comes to a well and he meets a young woman named Rachel. The moment that Jacob sees Rachel, he knows that this is the one who will become his wife. Exodus 2, Moses flees Egypt. He finds a well in Midian and he meets Zipporah. Not long afterwards, they get married. John 4, Jesus is on mission sent by his father. He's sitting by a well. A Samaritan woman arrives at noon, not the normal time of day for women to be drawing water. Jesus crosses barrier after barrier in order to establish a relationship with her. What kind of relationship? John wants us to see that it is like a marriage relationship. In fact, this is the whole trajectory of John's gospel up to this point. Remember how Jesus begins his public ministry at a wedding in Canaan. In Cana, why a wedding? Well, partly it's because Jesus supports the institution of marriage, but even more so, it's because Jesus is on 
his mission to establish a relationship with us that is so personal and so intimate and so loving that the, the best way to describe it is that of a marriage. In John chapter 3, verse 29, John the Baptist, speaking of his role in Jesus' mission, says, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This joy is mine and is now complete. John the Baptist sees himself as the best man in Jesus' wedding party. Jesus is the groom. The question that we're left with at the end of chapter 3 is, who is the bride? John 4, Jesus meets a woman at a well. This woman turns out to be the first person called to be part of the bride of Christ. This has always been God's mission. Isaiah 54, do not be afraid, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Hosea 2, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Ephesians 5, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Jesus is our brother. He's our teacher. He's our friend. He's our savior, our Lord, our king. But he is also the lover of our souls. And he breaks down every barrier in order to share the most precious gift that we could ever receive this side of heaven. Observation number three. Jesus breaks down every barrier he seeks to establish an intimate relationship with us in order to give us living water. Verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and the one who speaks to you, you would ask him and he would give you living water. The woman is confused. She thinks Jesus is talking about physical water, but Jesus is talking about something much different. He identifies the source of her pain, the source of her shame, and doesn't run away. And then notice how she responds. She starts talking about worship. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Why does she start talking about worship? I've heard many preachers say it's because she's trying to avoid her sin. She's trying to change the subject. She doesn't want to face her brokenness. I don't think that's it at all. I believe the woman has started drinking the living water that Jesus gives, and she's responding in worship. She's trying to figure out where to go to connect with God. Should I go to the mountain of Samaria or should I go to Jerusalem? Jesus responds, you don't need to go anywhere to find God because God is spirit. He's everywhere you are. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It turns out the living water that Jesus gives is the Spirit of God himself. In John chapter 7, Jesus stands up on the last 
day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and he calls out in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of your inner being will flow streams of living water. Jesus ex- John explains that Jesus is talking about the Spirit who he would give after he had been glorified. The good news is that Jesus has been glorified, friends. And when we turn to him and drink this living water that he gives, we find ourselves caught up in this flow of worship, which is a response of our whole being to God's goodness towards us. And then we're sent out into the world, like we see this woman doing in verse 29. We didn't read it in our passage, but it's coming up. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Jesus did not tell her to go out and share the gospel with her neighbors, nor did he try to stop her from speaking because she was a woman. She was compelled to share the good news of what Jesus had done for her with those who were just as broken and ashamed and thirsty as she was. N.T. Niles said, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found food. I think we can say Christianity is one spiritually dehydrated person telling another spiritually dehydrated person where they found living water. The question is, are you thirsty for this living water? This is the only water that can truly satisfy. This is the only water that can quench your deepest longings and desires. No human relationship can. No amount of food or drink or pleasure can do it. Shopping can't do it. Entertainment can't do it. Culture can't do it. Nothing can satisfy our souls except the water that Jesus Christ gives. In him, we discover a well that never runs dry. And he offers us this water that will become in us a spring gushing out and into the world. Are you thirsty for this water? Through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Jesus says, if you knew who was standing in the midst of you, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Let's turn to Jesus and ask him. Jesus, we confess that we have tried drinking from broken cisterns that always leave us thirsty and longing and seeking we turn to you and we acknowledge our brokenness before you. We thank you for overcoming every barrier in order to connect with us. We thank you for the invitation to know you intimately and for this living water that you give us.
We invite you to come and quench our deepest thirst. Revive our weary souls. And may we be fully alive in your loving presence. We pray all of these things in your holy name. Amen.